Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. If you have one of the Bibles that we're providing, I believe it's on page 976. We've been working our way deliberately through the book of Ephesians, and over the past couple weeks we've been looking at the blessings, the spiritual blessings that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. We've been going through this very long sentence that goes from verses 3 to 14, and today we will wrap up that section as we look at the final blessings that God uh, reveals to us in this passage. But please, if you would, stand with me out of love and reverence for God's holy word as we read together Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 to 14. In him, that's in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. And so ends the reading of God's word. And beloved, what do we know about God's word? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, indeed, this is your word. You do truly speak to us through it. And we pray that your spirit would be with us to open our ears and our hearts to receive it, that we would be trained, we would be corrected, we would be even rebuked uh, unto righteousness, unto holiness, for your name's sake. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The late Steve Jobs, uh, one of the co-founders and former CEOs of Apple Computer, is considered by some to be one of the greatest visionaries of our generation. Um, one of his hallmark characteristics, though, was his uh, presentation skills, his ability to dazzle audiences with this vision of how Apple products were going to revolutionize their lives or their existence. Um, and one of the, the things that was his hallmark uh, or trademark activity is he would have these keynote presentations, he would wrap up all his presentation, and he would wave goodbye, and he'd start to walk off the stage, and then he'd stop and he'd say, one more thing, at which point he began to expound upon what was really intended to be the star of the show of his presentation. As we've been working through this passage from verses 3 to 14, we've uh, heard about uh, God's amazing plan of salvation for his people. In verses 3 to 6, what we looked at two weeks ago, we heard about God's purpose for his people, that he purposed to uh, call us, to elect us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us for adoption as sons. And last week, we talked about how Christ has accomplished that purpose, um, how we have redemption in his blood, in the blood of Christ. His perfection uh, has been handed to us. But it's as if Paul comes to this passage and he turns to us and he says, but I've got one more thing, one more thing. Um, and what, we've, what we see is that um, in this passage is that Paul is telling us that these these spiritual blessings that he's been telling us about as he's been working through this passage are not the full measure of 
the blessings that we are to receive. We've only received these in part. This is just the sampler, the taste of the full reality that we are to expect. And what Paul is, wants to communicate to us is that children of the living God have received an inheritance, a glorious inheritance. And what we have now in these blessings is just a mere sample of that eternal glory that we are to receive. So as we look through this passage from verses 11 to 14, I think we can kind of break it down in a chronological outline. It starts off with God declaring a declaring to us an inheritance, and then we have a down payment of an inheritance, and we end with a delivery of the inheritance. So Paul begins with a simple declaration of the inheritance. He says in verse 11, In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. And tells us that we have received an inheritance. Now, there's a little bit of a dispute exactly what Paul is saying there. Uh, the, the Greek word is a bit odd. Paul says, uh, literally, in him we have been inheritanced, uh, which could either mean that we have received an inheritance or we have become an inheritance, that we have become God's inheritance. And the, the problem for us is that both things are biblically true. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we hear about how God's people are God's inheritance. He has set aside a people for himself. Uh, the New Testament authors talk about how we are God's special treasured possession that he has set apart as holy for himself. We even saw that earlier in this passage. But we also see in Scripture this whole picture of inheritance that God is giving to his people. There is an inheritance there, even back to Abram, who said, well, God, what could you possibly give me? I have no heir. I have you know, just the servant, Eliezer. He's set to be the heir. What could you possibly give me? And the Lord Jesus said that the meek will inherit the earth. And other biblical writers say that we will inherit the kingdom of God, or we will inherit salvation, or we will inherit the promises. So both are true, biblically, but Clearly, what Paul is talking about is that we have obtained, we have received a blessing. We have received an inheritance. If you remember, this entire benediction, starting in verse 3, has started with Paul talking about how in Christ we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. God has been talking about how he has blessed us in all these different ways. And he culminates this by saying, in him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. And so this inheritance is ours. So he says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So this is the second time in this passage, this big passage that we've talked about predestined. And kids, do you remember the last time? Last time was back there in verse 5 where it says, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And if you remember what we talked about a couple weeks ago, was that predestined means that this was setting forward God's purpose, his plan, his intention, his goal for us, and how he had, before the foundation of the world, predestined us to be adopted as his children. And now he says that we have been predestined according to, for this inheritance. And there's 
clearly a connection there, isn't there? Because who receives inheritances? Is it slaves? Is it servants? Is it just some random person off the street? Clearly not. It's the children who receive inheritances, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it, because it would have been enough, would it not, if God had just simply said that he has given us forgiveness. He has forgiven us in his son. But he did more than that. He went and he said, no, you're not just forgiven, but you are adopted as my children. And that would have been more than enough, but instead of just saying that we are adopted as his children and God is our father, he says, no, I'm giving you an inheritance. I am giving you something. I'm lavishing my gifts upon you. I'm loving you with part of my estate, part of who I am. It's my, all that I have is yours. And so he's lavished on us an inheritance. So again, we see the lavish love of our heavenly father that he has predestined us for an inheritance. And, and whose inheritance would this have been? If we are receiving an inheritance and we are the adopted sons, who are we taking from? We're taking from the beloved true son, Jesus Christ. All that was his, he is now sharing with us and he's giving to us as God's children. So we see God's grace and we see Christ's love for us and giving us an inheritance. And then it says, um, we've received this and obtained this inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Now in all of scripture, this may be one of the clearest statements of God's sovereign purposes, that God sovereignly works out all of his holy will. It says that he, uh, it's according to the purpose of him who works out all things according to the counsel of his will. And so students think about this for just a second. God, we talked about this last week, is that um, this was according to the pleasure of his will, that God thinks through what his plans were going to be. He did it with all wisdom and insight. He considered from eternity past what he would do. He took counsel in himself, in his perfect wisdom and insight. And then he purposed his plan. And then it says that he works out all things according to the counsel of his will. Um, Theologians like to talk about how uh, God works out everything in his triune being, that the Father is the one who purposes his plan, and the Son is the one who accomplishes God's purposes, and then the Holy Spirit is the one who applies it to God's people. And we see that through this passage as we've kind of worked through from verse 3 on. It was verses 3 to 6, we were talking about God's eternal purposes. And in verses 7 through 12, we hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, accomplishing God's purposes of salvation. And then in verses 13 and 14, we hear about the Holy Spirit applying it to us. And so the triune God in his sovereignty, in his wisdom, in his might, think about that. Before eternity passed, for all eternity, he has been planning, considering, thinking about you, about uniting you to his son, rescuing you from your estate of being caught in slavery to sin, in redeeming you with his blood, in adopting you into his family, in lavishing his love and his blessings upon you. This is part of his purpose, and he is, he is working it out, and he always works it out. 
He works out everything that he intends to do. And so we can be sure that this inheritance that he has given to us will be ours. So it says that he works out all things according to the counsel of his will. And then he tells us why. He says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So he's done these things to the praise of his glory. Not just for his glory, but that we might praise his glory. The question is, who is who's the we here? He says in verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Well, many commentators would say that what Paul is talking about there is, he's talking about Jewish Christians, that those, uh, they're those who were the first to hope in Christ because God revealed his covenant promises to the nation of Israel. They hoped in Christ, and Christ re- revealed himself first to the, the Jews, the, the Jewish Christians, and Paul was counted in that, and it was before those uh, Gentiles, particularly the, the Gentiles in Ephesus, um, that, that that's what he's talking about. So it's the, the we that Paul is talking about is not the Ephesians, but he turns to talk about the Ephesians uh, later in verse 13, where he says, in him you also, uh, that there's this distinction between Jew and Gentile. And Apostle Paul does talk about um, the Gentiles being grafted in to uh, the one covenant promises that God gave to the nation of Israel. He talks about that in Ephesians chapter 2, so that is a true thing, but I don't think, I I tend to disagree with that interpretation of that particular passage, and it's really just for a couple reasons. The the word that is used, um, the first to hope, is a weird word. It's a word that Paul only uses once uh, in all of Scripture. It's not found very often outside of Scripture, and so people are trying to figure out what that word means. And that's dangerous territory to draw too much of a conclusion from it. Um, but it, if that's what Paul is getting at, it, the Ephesian people would have no indication that that was the case. Everything Paul has been saying up until this point has been talking about all the blessings that we, as God's people, receive together. Going back to verse 3, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless. He predestined us for adoption um, to the praise. He has blessed us in the beloved with whom we have redemption through his blood. And then he gets to, and he says, and now he is, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose. This is something that is for all of God's people, and there's nothing grammatically or any indication that would make the Ephesians say, oh, well, when he said we now, he's now talking about, um, he's not talking about us, he's talking about them. Um, so the question is, well, what, what is Paul saying? If he's, if, who is this first to hope in Christ? Well, there's one excellent commentary that I think gave helpful interpretation that is actually very encouraging. The word in Greek is literally a compound word that could be first hope or before hope. Um, And what I believe he's saying is he's talking about not Jews in comparison to Gentiles, but all of us who are living before hope, before the hope. Um, In verse 18, which we haven't gotten to yet, Paul says, Um, that he prays that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, that we would know what is the hope to which he has called you. We talk about um, God's promises 
having a future element that we are living with the hope of salvation. We have salvation now, and yet we're living with the hope, a glorious hope. And Paul says in Romans 8, he says, we hope for things that we haven't yet seen. Who hopes for what he sees? But when we hope for it, we have eager anticipation of that which is coming. And I believe that's what Paul's saying here, is that we are been given all these blessings, but we are, what are we doing? We are, uh, he's given us this inheritance, which has a future element. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, that we are living on this side of hope. We are living before hope. So we would glorify God even while we live in a time of hope. There will come a time where our hope becomes sight. Our faith becomes sight. But right now we're living before hope. We're the before hope ones. And that we would live for the praise of his glory. So how can we praise God in the midst of this time, this before hope time that we have? Well, he gives us a down payment to be able to praise him. So that's, we go from a declaration of our inheritance to a down payment of a inheritance. It says, um, starting in verse 13, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So he, he says, in him you also, not to distinguish one group from another, but he's been talking all this time about these blessings that are ours, these blessings that are for us. And it's easy for us, isn't it, to hear these things declared, to hear, uh, we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We, we have been adopted as sons. We have redemption as blood. And it's easy for us to personally sit there and say, who's this we? Not me. I, I, don't, I don't feel connected to that, that reality. Um, and it's as if Paul says, I've been talking about all these things, and then he turns and he looks straight at them and says, yes, you. Yes, you. These promises are for you. And let me show you, I have proof that these, these promises are for you. And what's the proof that he gives? He says uh, three things. He says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So notice there's three things. Students, you see what they are? In him you, when you heard, you believed, you were sealed. These are not three sequential activities, but these are uh, concurrent activities. These are describing um, the, the outworking of what's happening at the moment of faith that is happening by the power of God's Holy Spirit. He says, um, when you heard the word of faith, um, notice that faith comes from hearing. Uh, and, and, and hearing the word of truth. It says, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, so it's that you're not just hearing anything, but you're hearing the actual gospel of Jesus Christ, how you were saved. It says, you believed in him. So this, this faith, this belief is coming through hearing, and you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. These are, this is not, not just a, a hearing like the, the sound is going past your ears, but it is, it is a true hearing. There's a true hearing that happens only by the work of the Holy Spirit. We can hear these things. Remember, we talked about in 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul says that um, these things are spiritually discerned. 
So we can hear the word of salvation, and it can be meaningless. It can be foolishness to us. Yet God, by his Spirit, opens our ears so that in hearing we would hear. And when you really hear with ears opened by the Holy Spirit, you believe. It's part of the way God works out his irresistible grace. He causes that faith to happen in the hearing, in the true hearing of it. And when that happens, concurrent with that, Paul says that we, would, we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So seals, kids in the Old Testament had um, a few different practices. So you, they would use seals. So you've probably seen it in the movies where they, they would take a bit of wax and they would put it on an envelope and then they have a stamp. And the king would normally be the one that would do it and it would have a particular shape. And so you would know that it was the king's. Um, so seals could have had different practices. One was to authenticate. So if you wanted to know that a letter was really from the king, you might seal it with the king's seal. Another practice of the seals was to, uh, we would just use the word seal, like you'd seal an envelope. So think about when Jesus' tomb uh, was closed. The Roman soldiers put a a seal on it, and they sealed it with uh, the the, uh, the ruler's seal, so that th- they knew that nobody tampered with the seal. But I don't believe that this seal that Paul is talking about here is either of those. But it's the seal that we read from Ezekiel and Revelation. It is a seal that is marking God's people. Apart and setting them free, setting them apart from the the coming destruction. So, if you remember from the Ezekiel passage, there was the man with the writing tablet who God said, "Go and mark on them." He was he was sending out executioners to take care of the wickedness that was there. But he said, "Mark off the people who groan and and can't handle this. Set them apart." And that's exactly what happened in Revelation chapter 9, that God was marking on the foreheads of his people a mark to set them apart before the coming wrath of God, to set them apart so that they were spared from destruction. And so I think that's what is going on here, that God is saying that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a means of setting us apart and protecting us from the coming flood. Think of it like it was like um, the, the Passover, how there was a, a blood that was over the houses and the angel of death passed by. So God is uh, set to pass us by when his coming wrath comes. It's a glorious seal. So kids, think about that. When you heard God's word and you believed it as your own, God says that he marked you in the spiritual realms with a mark to set you apart so that God's wrath would pass you by. It's not a a marking, not a seal that you can see, but no doubt those beings that are in the spiritual realms can see it. Scripture says that the Lord knows who are his, and no doubt the evil one does as well. You were marked, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. But then he says, you are sealed with this promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So that word guarantee is probably closest to what we think of with a down payment. 
So a down payment on a house, for, for, for instance, is a payment, which is a promise of the full payment, which is a part of the full payment. So you owe a certain amount, you give a down payment, which is a part of that whole amount, and it's a promise that you're going to receive the whole thing. God is saying that when we receive the Holy Spirit, and everything that we've received in the Holy Spirit, that is a part of the whole of what we are to receive. And so when the Holy Spirit works in us to do all these things that God has said through this passage that he will do, that is evidence that we are going to receive the fullness of that blessing that we have in Jesus Christ. It is just a down payment. Now it says, um, who is the guarantee, our English Standard Version says, our guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Again, this is kind of weird language that Paul uses. Literally, he says, until the redemption of the thing preserved, which is an odd way of saying until, until we receive it. So I think there's actually something a bit more going on than what is evident from our English language translation. So in verse 7, we talked about this last week, the Apostle Paul said that in Christ we have redemption through his blood. And we talked about how that redemption is salvation, um, it's forgiveness of our sins, it's a cleansing. But we also talked about how there is a future element to this redemption, that even though we've been redeemed in the blood of Christ, we are still hopeful for that final redemption, that all creation is groaning. Even we are groaning for that final consummation of the redemption that we are awaiting, the redemption of our bodies, the redemption of all the created order when God renews the heavens and the earth and he sets up his dwelling place with God's people forever and ever. I think that's the redemption that he's got uh, in mind here in verse 14 when he says the redemption of the thing preserved. But what's, what about the, the second part? Until the thing preserved, there's a... There's something, a theme throughout Scripture of this concept of remnant, uh, a thing preserved. A, a thing preserved is something that uh, is a remnant, something that is saved from wrath. So we see it all the way back, kids. You probably remember one particular remnant from Genesis chapter 6, and that's Noah and his family and all those animals. They were a remnant that were preserved from the wrath of God, that they went into the ark and they were preserved. And then there was a remnant in um, the exile where God destroyed uh, his, his people to a large extent, but he preserved a remnant a, a, uh, to, to, so that his promises would continue, so his people would continue. And those two uh, images were just really pointing ahead to the true remnant, the, the, the true uh, preservation for all all eternity of God's people. And that, I think, is what he's been talking about, that he's, he's chosen us that we would be holy and blameless. He set us apart that we would be in his presence. He's predestined us to be part of his family. He's only going to preserve those who are in his family. He's given us redemption through his blood, and yet it's not complete. He's going to purify us and cleanse us as a remnant. And so what I think he's saying here is that we have received the promised Holy Spirit. We have been sealed. We have been marked with his Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee, a promise, that we are will be redeemed, that we will have that redemption, the redemption 
of the remnant, the redemption of God's people for all eternity, that our salvation is secure, because that is what salvation is. When we talk about salvation, it is salvation from God's wrath. He is preserving us from God's wrath. And that Holy Spirit that we have, the Holy Spirit that gives us eyes to glorify our God, to cling to Christ, to understand this gospel, is the beginning of the fullness, and it's the seal and the mark to preserve us unto the end. It's a glorious gift that we would do this, and we would be to the praise of his glory now, and we would be to the praise of his glory for all eternity, until we until the redemption of the remnant for all eternity to the praise of his glory. And so he del- will deliver us in that, um, <laughs> deliver that inheritance to us. So just a few notes as we begin to wrap up on this passage um, centered around this whole concept of inheritance. The first is inheritance you ought to see that there's a future element to the concept of inheritance. Inheritance is a, uh, a funny thing. You have an inheritance when you don't have the thing that has been promised. But once you have the thing that's promised, you no longer have an inheritance because the thing that was inherited is now yours. So your inheritance is no longer there. And so there is a future element um, we see even in the language that Paul uses of an inheritance. So each of these blessings that we've seen has a future element. Yes, he's making us holy now. We have been set apart now, and yet he's purifying us to the time when we will be perfectly holy and blameless. He has adopted us now. We can call him Father. We have the spirit of sonship within us, and yet we do not know the fullness. We are awaiting the adoption, Paul says elsewhere. Um, Even redemption through his blood. We talked about there is an element now and an element later. So there's a future element these blessings. It's as though Paul is saying, you have glorious blessings now. You have them now. And yet what you have is just a glimpse. Just, just wait. You have this glorious inheritance in the saints, um, in, in Christ Jesus. So there's a future element, but there is a present element. These are spiritual blessings that we have now. If the Spirit is that down payment. That's why these are spiritual blessings, because uh, they come from the Spirit, they're obtained, they're maintained by the Spirit. These are blessings that we have even now. I mentioned this before, but I'll mention it again. An inheritance is only for sons. So notice the, the, the blessing, the, the fact that God has adopted us as sons so that we would have these glorious blessings. Um, We have to see this connection, but not only is it for sons in general, but as Paul has been saying over and over and over through this passage, this is an inheritance in his son. He said in his son, or in him, or through him, over 10 times in this passage from verse 3 to 14. It's over and over. These, These gifts, these blessings are not a part from Jesus Christ or separate from Jesus Christ. They are in and through Jesus Christ. And even this Holy Spirit that we've been marked with is Christ's Spirit. So we have a measure of Christ himself through his Spirit. But it's not just in 
Christ, but the inheritance is Christ. It is Christ. When Paul talks through these, these blessings, all these blessings are mere glimpses or components or aspects of the blessing, the entirety of the blessing of who Jesus Christ is and all that he has done for us. And so when we have this inheritance, it's Christ himself is the inheritance. And we have a, a share of him now that is but a down payment. But what we have awaiting for us is the fullness of the intimacy and the ecstasy and the glory and the majesty and the might and the love and the acceptance and the power and the glory forever and ever in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the inheritance, and he says, he's yours. And how do I know? Because his spirit dwells in you now. And that's proof. And he says that the, <laughs> the inheritance that we have is secure, that the, we will get it because we've been predestined for this. We've been predestined for this inheritance. It's been God's plan. And Paul says he works out all of his plans according to the counsel of his will. He makes it happen. Jesus Christ has come and lived and died, and it is finished. He's accomplished those things. And now the Holy Spirit is working those things out. And you have evidence because he's worked in your heart. If we could just grasp this, wouldn't this change everything about the way that we live? We tend to fret about the scraps of this life and the things that we want or the things that we might lose. And wouldn't understanding this and grasping it just change all of that? We might fret about our financial situation. Will, will the Lord provide? You know, will the stock market you know, implode? Will, will the Lord provide our daily bread? And Paul says we have untold riches, glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Of course he's going to provide. And of course he's going to give us something far greater than we could ever imagine. We might fret about what people might say or do to us or political unrest, thing, whatever, whatever the issue is of the day that we read about in the news and it just makes us worry and concerned about where is this world going. And Paul says, God is working out everything according to the purposes of his will, and you know he has given you a glorious inheritance, and you can glorify God. You can be, live to the praise of his glory even now because of what you have been given in Christ Jesus. And even, even when it comes to our own faith, we might say, well, maybe I don't, you don't love the Father enough. Maybe I don't think about Jesus enough. Maybe I don't pray enough. Maybe I don't read my Bible enough. Maybe I don't understand this gospel well enough. And the Father says, I have predestined you to be my children forever and ever. I have given you an inheritance. It's not dependent upon you being good enough or sanctified enough. I will sanctify you. I am sanctifying you. And you will be sanctified. You are getting my son, and you have his spirit now. So delight in that even now. 
We have God's spirit dwelling within us, and it is a glorious promise, a glorious deposit, a guarantee that the fullness of God's Son is ours. We, what, what is the Father's one more thing? It's the greatest thing ever, that we have the great glorious inheritance in the Son. We have a glorious inheritance of the Son, and it is the fullness, the completion, the every spiritual blessing fulfilled because of our union with his beloved Son. Praise be to the Father, to the Son, and the Holy Spirit who works out all these things for his glory and for our benefit. Let's pray together. Father, you are so abundantly wonderful and gracious to us. Thank you that you have blessed us in your Son, Jesus Christ. Help us to really believe these things and really to live in accordance with these things. Let these things transform everything about us. Help us to change the way that we live towards one another, that we would love one another who we have been united to forever and ever in your Son. Help us to live to the praise of your glory. Help us to never cease to praise you and to exalt you in everything that we do because of these great and precious promises. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, beloved, our hymn